Welcome to Product Leaders, a podcast series by Audis. I'm Ben Molson, your host. Through the episodes, I'll be speaking to a variety of product people across a broad range of topics, all under the wing of product leadership. My hope is that these will be insightful sessions for the product community and alike to inspire product people starting out and to help peers in their everyday product challenges. So sit back, listen along, and if you like the content, give it a follow, like, share, comment. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Lorenzo Espinosa. Head of Product at Ada Health. Ada Health are a scale-up with an HQ in Berlin that operates in the health tech space. Lorenzo has had a very impressive and fast rise into product leadership, having started out in big tech, then moved into the startup world and focusing more on data products, and most recently moving into health tech in the B2B world. In this session, we'll be discussing Lorenzo's various steps through different sectors, the collaboration between commercial and product teams, and how to build a sound product strategy. Well, Lorenzo, great to be recording with you today. How are things in sunny Spain? Not too bad, not too bad. Thank you for having me, Ben. Yeah, today in Spain is about 22 degrees, so definitely cannot complain. Very jealous. <laughs> it's it's not raining here, but it's definitely a classic grey miserable day in London. So <laughs> very jealous of you. Well, I'm really looking forward to sort of diving into all things product with you. I guess first, it'd just be useful to give the listeners a quick snapshot of Lorenzo Espinosa, the product leader. So who are you and what sort of product leader are you? So probably a recap about me. I've always been in the product slash growth space throughout my career for the last decade or so across different verticals and sectors and company sizes. Some time ago, I've specialized on the B2B SaaS side of things. And currently, I work for a company called Ada Health as a head of product for their B2B SaaS side of business. Ada Health is a German company in the health tech space. We provide a symptom assessment technology through AI, both direct to consumer, but also on a B2B front. Basically, we try to empower anyone who is not feeling well. There might be something wrong with them, but also people who want to be more proactive about their health. Uh, we want to empower them to really understand what might be wrong with them and what they can do about it. Brilliant. Yeah. It's always great to give people a bit of an understanding of sort of where you're at at the moment. So uh, no, brilliant. And I guess you know, always great to be collaborating with you on something new. We've obviously known each other for a few years now, but I think there's, there's a couple of sort of key areas we wanted to hone in on to today. So one being that kind of collaboration between commercial and product teams, and then also wanted to touch upon kind of product strategy and maybe going to give some words of wisdom around product as a career. But I think just to sort of start off, it'd be really useful to give the listeners also some context around your kind of product journey towards where you are now you've had quite a varied career in terms of the product areas you've covered but how did you actually start in products i think that's uh, always a really interesting question to answer from any product person right i think my steps into product were very similar to those of many people basically breaking into product before i personally knew that it was called product management this was back in 2010 where i was working for these virtual additional process manufacturing company so something that it was not tech first but also a company that was in need of digitalization and that modernization right and having access to the possibility of driving business value through technology innovation that's how i started to fall in love with product with what i now know that is called product even though i didn't know it back then this is how i took my first step in the world of product management trying to really drive value as I mentioned, through technology and, and bringing the business together with me. And I really love the, the ability to really lead everyone with me towards a state that would propel the business forward in so many ways. And since then, I've just built on that experience throughout multiple company sizes and, and sectors, including, for example, Amazon, which is the company I then moved through this initial product experience working for the Amazon logistics team. At the time, Amazon Logistics was a very small startup within Amazon, so to speak. So I got to see the hyper growth that came with scaling a new business unit within within Amazon. I then also 
decided to transition into a smaller scale tech because I wanted to see how the startups, scale-ups really went about product. And I've been in the space for about five years now in the European ecosystem. I started my uh, startup career in a company called Chatmail. They do AI for customer experience and managed to write the, the growth journey with them since they were at seed stage up until Series B, uh, which is where the states are at now. And as mentioned, I'm now with a company called Ada Health. Absolutely. I think it's funny how not just the podcast that I've done so far, but that also just conversations I have with people most days, it's always like falling into product or doing product without realizing you're doing products and eventually kind of getting yeah. there. Most often I see that is with people with a data-related background, because often they've worked on a data environment and then really kind of started honing on those product skills and then eventually they realized, oh, actually, I am I'm a product manager. So um, no, it really, uh, really resonates with me. And I think well, you obviously mentioned Chatterman. I think when we first met a few years ago, you were at Chatterman and you were certainly like one of the leading lights or the few leading lights that I was kind of aware of in the data product world. You sort of always worked fairly closely with, with data-related product. But then recently, specifically moving to AD, you've sort of diversified your experience quite a bit. How have you found that change and how did you go about it? Because it's quite it's quite a shift, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I, I would point out is that I had always been interested in the commercial side of things. I think one, I'm one of those product leaders who tries to complement the technical side with the commercial side quite often and learning more about marketing, sales, sales operations, really trying to understand the best way of distributing the products that I or my teams built. In the early stages of my career, of course, I was closer to the technical side of things and my scope was slightly narrower and I was feeding into a, a broader set of product strategies and, and go-to-market strategies, right? But as I grew as I grew in my career, I realized the importance of really understanding and supporting the sales teams and customer success, commercial teams more generally, as well as having them support the product teams in the best way to understand the best way to build products, to understand the most effective pain points to address, to really serve the customers, be as customer-centric as possible. As you said, when I joined Chatmail, I was initially focused on the more data side of things, data product side of things. But over time, even at Chatmail, we started diversifying our product line. We started thinking of new products to bring to market. And of course, that required a lot of interactions with the, with the commercial teams, especially when you're trying to build a zero to one product. Replicate that at Ada Health. The idea of bringing that view that commercial and product teams need to collaborate is something that some companies either take for granted or maybe don't dedicate enough time to. And the symptoms that I see in, in some cases that you have companies that are selling things that they don't have. Of course, this is something that you have to do, especially early stages. But of course, it creates a lot of friction on the product team because they are now on the hook to deliver bits that they were not planning to deliver. Or vice versa, the product teams are just delivering features or new functionality that the commercial team cannot sell. So then you have the opposite problem of building functionality that doesn't drive any outcomes or any impact. And that is why I was so interested in how to solve this problem, how to bring these two sides together so that you actually get a well-oiled machine that can really propel the business forward. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of the things you just touched upon there is probably why you've been able to progress quite quickly through your career and reach those kind of leadership roles pretty quickly just because of your sort of awareness or maybe not even just awareness just sort of interest in the commercial side of, of businesses as well which obviously maybe differentiates a straight line product manager with someone who's going to be a product leader because you have to be perhaps more aware of, of that side of the, the business why did you want to get experience in other areas of the sort of product rather than just for data related experience you already had it, it wasn't to do with 
your interest in the commercial side of business, do you think? Or was there sort of like a broader rationale behind it? I think it was a combination of things, right? So of course I was interested in the commercial side, so I wanted to learn more about it. So things like between marketing, product marketing, how a sales team actually works, incentives, territories, customer success, how to best retain a client, the influence that those teams can have in the product team and vice versa. But it was also about the fact that I believe that for me to keep growing and to grow as a, as a professional, as a product professional, it's important to know about other aspects of a business and of course other aspects of product it's what i call the t-shaped professional right so you have a spike so something that you maybe are more comfortable with something that you are maybe a bit of an expert in but you use that to start expanding into other areas that you don't necessarily need to be the best at but you can intelligently talk about and potentially lead teams that are taking care of these areas. It was at the time my motivation. How could I become that person who could come in and, and really may potentially advise a product marketing team as to how to best market a certain product or maybe coming in onto a, a platform team and help them understand how to best support the business from their point of view and how to connect them with this product strategy. So those are just examples of why I think product leaders need to be aware of other areas of the business. And of course, as I keep growing, I also see the need to learn more about my adjacent areas, right? Especially product being so cross-functional, but examples are finance, for example. I've also worked in operations, right? So becoming familiar with, with operations and how those levers work in that side of the business, customer support. These are just examples of areas that a product leader, I believe, needs to be aware of so that they can be as, as functional as possible in the role, as effective as possible. No, that definitely makes sense. I think that I mean, you touched upon a couple of great things and I think that it relates quite nicely to another, another podcast I've done. This person works more in the fintech space and so it's, it's like regulation and compliance teams are really important for, for them to understand. I mean, I'm sure that's the case in other businesses as well, but particularly with, within fintech and those payments, so the regulation around that is obviously pretty complex. You, you touched upon the T-shaped profile of how you use that sort of example of your experience people talk about engineers having that or t-shaped profile maybe the coding languages or you know <laughs> some of their, their tech i speak to product managers a lot and i don't think that people talk about that enough and, and trying to expand their their experience across different areas they talk about data products and b2b SaaS and b2b marketing and and operations it must help you a lot as a product leader in your kind of day-to-day -day role having touched upon all of those areas why do you think it's so important to have that kind of breadth as a product leader? Yeah, absolutely. Because one of my key mantras, so to speak, is to always deliver impact in whatever role I do. Maybe on the more technical side, on the more commercial side, it's all about impact, right? That's what ultimately we are going to be evaluated on, but also is what I'm personally after. How do I make the most impact for a business, for a product, for a, for a person, if I'm talking from a leadership perspective? So being aware of, as mentioned before, different, I like the term levers, the different levers that exist across different domains it's almost like having tools in your toolbox, right? Uh, so that you know which ones to pull. That is true for more like sort of harder skills, right? So technical concepts uh, in finance and operations, customer success, pure metrics, but also on the soft skill side. So things like motivation, mentoring, coaching, being able to to advise someone on, on their career, on, on a particular tricky conversation that they need to have. So for me, it's just having that those tools in my toolbox to be able to really augment the impact that I can make through others. To me, that is one of the key aspects of leadership, right? How do you augment what others can do and how do you grow them as well? So that in the future, hopefully, I guess to me, winning in leadership is growing others so they could take my spot at some point, right? To me, that is the definition of leadership, like having that 
transformational impact on, on someone. Yeah, for sure. And I think in terms of the, the day-to-day role as a product leader, it's just essential having that kind of breadth across different areas. I think that specifically within like those growth environments, you know, Ada Health and then Chasmel before, having that impact across a wider business is, is more important in a smaller business as well. Exactly, exactly. Especially because everything moves so quickly, right? Everything changes so quickly as well. And the fact that product is so cross-functional, you basically need to talk to pretty much every single person in the business or every single department in the business. So the fact that you at least understand their motivations as well, uh, so you can also support them and they can support you. It's a great way to speed up a lot of the initiatives that you need to put out or a lot of the conversations that need to happen for the business to continue to grow or for the business to continue to iterate on products, but also on these objectives that might not be product related, but that product needs to input on. For sure. And I think that leads us quite nicely on to the next sort of areas. Most listeners will probably appreciate product is that kind of amazing function that, that joins everything else together or, you know, maybe not just jump to the joining, but touches upon all, all areas. Put simply, it's kind of joining the commercial area and the technology area of a business together. Why do you think product and commercial teams need to collaborate so closely in order to build that kind of solid, scalable business? I guess most recently in the last two roles, it's been really important. Yeah, absolutely. That's also a great question and, and someone that I've reflected quite a bit on, especially based on my experiences in terms of when I think about a product either not selling or a company not getting traction, I always think about you know the most common reasons why that could be. Either there is not a market for it or potentially we're not solving the right problem. When I think about the job of a product manager is to basically, you know, in a nutshell, trying to discover the risk assumptions when trying to solve the most pressing customer pain point. If you solve the most pressing customer pain point in a way that is desirable by them, so in a way that they can use it, and also in a way that is technically feasible and that will return money to the company, basically you've got it, right? You have a product that can be sold and hopefully build a business around. However, it's obviously in practice, it's much more complex. And as you start interacting with commercial teams, especially in early stages, but also in growth companies, you start to have diverging opinions that make it more difficult to basically address that core pain point that is going to make the business a success. And this is why the importance of collaboration between product and commercial is paramount. So if I maybe explain the picture for the audience, if I can speak to the symptoms, right, that I see when when this is not happening. Examples of these are probably examples that the audience could relate to uh, very, very well. So for example, we release a feature, but it gets very, very low usage. The product team was convinced that that was the key feature to release but the customers really do not see it as such. The commercial team is almost like in a, well, I told you so sort of perspective, right? Another example is when the commercial team hears a couple of prospects asking for a certain feature, certain functionality, and they immediately request that from the product team. I call that like the new shiny object sort of syndrome. So you always get those requests. Oh my God, we need to have this. Let's build this. But the product team obviously cannot ever keep up. And I guess just to give a third example, especially relevant for growth businesses, what you're trying to, to scale and replicate, you're starting to have bespoke feature requests that do not cater to all your customer base or, or 50, 70% of customer base, but just maybe to one or two clients. Of course, sometimes depending on the business and the size of the client, that is necessary. But in most cases, it's good to always take a step back and, and reflect on the need to bring bespoke features and what that's going to do for the company. Because if we keep building bespoke features, we are not going to build a product. We're just going to build you know, a set of, let's say, different products that cater to a pretty narrow set of customers and therefore makes it very hard to scale a company. So these are just signs of what happens when product and commercial do not collaborate closely together. And to me, and we'll probably get to this topic in a minute, but to me, a good way of 
bringing them closer together is what I call products, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to ask you about the kind of signs and symptoms that there's, there's maybe that disconnect sort of between the two. I guess it's down to you as a product leader to try and identify that and join the two together. You touched upon it there and it's stuff that we've talked about before in, in other like sessions we've done and some round tables and that kind of thing. But it sounds pretty similar to the theme of, you know, it's much easier for products and commercial teams to collaborate if it's a product first business or where you know it's product led you know, some of the examples you gave the Simpsons or signs when the two aren't collaborating are maybe in that more so sales led environment so how have you found that at Chattermill and, and Ada if you don't mind sharing do you feel that there's that good kind of collaboration I get the impression they're much more product led so I'd imagine that the collaboration is a bit easier so it's really at, at both places I've had really constructive conversations with both the commercial teams or between commercial teams and product teams but of course it is also true that there's always a bit of tension in commercial team beliefs we need x bit of functionality and product team kind of deliver why bit of functionality so not everything or potentially we have technical difficulties to to make it happen i think it's important to bring the facts to the table and bring the limitations to the table but also have that constructive conversation the overarching perspective as to where we're trying to get to where we're trying to go instead of talking about features instead of talking about just hey give me your roadmap which may be a, a common request that we get from commercial teams across all companies right only product companies product companies but it's almost like taking it a step above and really trying to connect more tactical bits so roadmap that features with the company objectives, right? And this is what I believe the, the product strategy is what I call the connecting tissues of spec or bringing together those objectives and maybe the, the tactical slash execution aspect of product development. It is at that product strategy level where I believe we have had I have had, you know, the best conversations with the with the commercial teams of both Ada Health and, and Chatsmail because it, it gives an opportunity with the forum for teams to really exchange their views, to challenge each other, which is always good, and really come up with a winning strategy that at least can be tested and experimented with. And almost like you ensure that everyone goes in the same direction and you at least reduce these divergent opinions that are sometimes very detrimental to the pace but also to the ability to make an impact for the product team and by proxy for the whole company. Absolutely. And that's aligning the product strategy, isn't it? I think that you put it nicely. Product strategy is a key artifact to ensure alignment, I think is, is how you put it. So I mean, really interested to unpack that. I think you know, from what you've just said, leads us quite nicely onto that. Perhaps firstly, just be useful to understand you know, what do we actually mean by product strategy? I guess, what is it and what is it not? <laughs> I think the best description that I have for the product strategy is what I mentioned earlier, that, that connective tissue between company objectives, company goals, and the more tactical level, the roadmap, the features, so that product strategy basically translate what those objectives are in a way that the product teams, the commercial teams can understand and execute on. It's almost like it communicates the why behind the direction of your product. It's basically like sort of your North Star. It becomes the set of choices that you make in terms of the customers you go after, the, the market you operate in, the features you build, the pain points you address, of course, with, your, with those features. But of course, it's important to also know that it evolves over time. The strategy is never done and product strategy is definitely the same, right? It's, it is never done. I think it's also important to know is because product strategy is not. Right. And I think a lot of people in the audience, let's say, relate to these comments, but I've heard some people define product strategy as the company mission, which is not as the roadmap, which as mentioned, it is not the roadmap, right? It's a level above. Product strategy is metrics. It's also not metrics, right? And it's definitely not a feature set. This is like, you know, the three, four features we need to deliver Q1, Q1, Q2, Q3. This is my product strategy. And, you know, here you go. You can enter my product strategy now. That is not what product strategy is. And also what product strategy is not either is a hundred page 
this is a document that takes years and years to write that nobody ends up reading or very few people can under, actually understand. Trial strategy needs to be like an inclusive exercise, right? It's meant to bring everyone along and it's meant to also be agile, right? It's a set of assumptions as well that can be tested and iterated on and definitely doesn't have to be 100 page plus. For sure. Yeah, I think there's plenty of examples out there of that, that kind of confusion. And I think that it is difficult because different companies operate in different ways and there are different like, stages of growth and the different maturity of what people understand product to be and therefore product strategy to be. So, I mean, it's understandable how those things sort of flow around. Just to sort of summarise then, what, what would you say are the main components of a solid product strategy? The main components, in my opinion, need to answer basically where you want to go with your business and therefore your product. The key components, in my opinion, are first, who your users are, what problems they have, right? And in the world of B2B, we also need to think about both well, like in terms of the end user persona, but also the buyer persona, who's gonna buy your product, how can you influence them? How are they gonna make the purchase decision? So having a really, really good understanding and definition of those people is paramount, is really, really essential for you to be able to build the right product. Second is basically the market, right? What sort of market do these people operate in? What are the dynamics? What are the main trends in this market? something that you really need to understand. Third is the competitive landscape. No company operates in a vacuum. So you also need to understand what your competitors are doing, how you compare with them or against them. What do they offer that you don't? What do you offer that they don't? And how you play those dynamics to your advantage. Fourth, you have the basically the business model right of your company. How are you going to make money? That is always essential to have, especially in a for-profit business. The key thing to always think about is, right, given that I'm solving a key, pain point, how much people were willing to pay or will be willing to pay for this solution. And it's important that you always have that in the back of your mind because you always want to verify that, yes, you can make money and yes, you can make enough money to sustain your business or at least continue to hit your targets. And last but not least, the fifth component, in my opinion, is the go-to-market plan. So you know who your users are, you know the market, you know the competitive landscape, but then how are you going to distribute your product, right? How are you actually going to sell your product in what ways, in what channels, with how many people, what strategies. That is also a key component of the product strategy that needs to be in place as well. Yeah, perfect. Great summary. And I think it breaks it down really nice. Obviously, I'm not a product person, so I've never really sat down and thought about it. Like, I think I find like most things in products, once someone tells me it seems fairly straightforward in terms of like the process to go about or, you know, like, kind of the, the framework, um, that, that totally makes sense. It just maybe perhaps varies business to business. How do you actually go about creating a product strategy for your business who needs to be around that table when that conversation happens i think it's always important to be inclusive in these conversations right given that in any product-led company product is a charge in terms of defining what that company is about to become in terms of the functionality what you sell is the product the company is the product in some ways right so you also need to be aware that you know product alone cannot be the price strategy in isolation because there are so many aspects that we do not know and that we do not know that we do not know, which is the risk, yes, that in business, right? The unknown unknown. My recommendation to start having this conversation around product strategies to just, first of all, get together with the key stakeholders in the business, obviously including the commercial team, but you might have adjacent functions that you need to involve, for example, in operations, finance, but definitely commercial and product need to be in the same room. And just have an open conversation, first of all, what the goal is, right? Which is about creating the product strategy, having a common understanding of what product strategy is and what success looks like in this exercise. Once you have done that, try to establish the components that I just mentioned uh, together, right? And this is a collaborative exercise and bring as much information as possible, especially around the key pain points that the customers have that your company can solve. Having a good understanding and alignment with the sales and commercial team around those is key 
because from the pain points, everything flows, right? Uh, given a specific pain point, we want to build a solution to that pain point. But if we don't get the pain points right, or we at least we don't have a, an agreement on what those pain points are, it's very hard that we'll create a product that that product team can deliver, but also that the sales team can sell effectively. I think it's important to highlight that it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It's important to get feedback very early on. So it's the time to socialize that product strategy because it's very hard to involve every single person in the company. You might have other stakeholders that might want to feed into that product strategy, at least for feedback. So try to socialize that early on, get some feedback, get iterations to refine those assumptions so that you get a more aligned or refined version of that product strategy. Once you get it to a point that you're happy with, I think it's important to communicate it across and align everyone around it, right? Including the go-to-market function. And last but not least, now the product strategy, which is in place, and as mentioned, is not a done thing, it's a living document. It's important that it's communicated and translated into, let's say, roadmap and product features, right? So basically the end goal of product strategy is to define where you want to take your product. So basically be a strategic, what you are, but most importantly, what you're not going to do. Therefore, you need to translate that into the roadmaps, the deliverables, the, the product features that you're going to put out. So it's important that that translation happens with the product engineering, data science, et cetera, the product, product org, so that that product strategy is actually executed and translated into a specific deliverable. And of course, the last step is to have that feedback loop in place. Once you have released features, once you have iterated on your assumptions, as with any product, it's important to think of the product strategy also in terms of continuous iterations, right? So go back, assess what you have released, the effectiveness, the value, learn from those hypotheses that you had at the beginning and basically create new ones to then feed back into the product strategy and pivot if necessary or adjust if necessary. It's always important to have that feedback loop in place so that you always are in tune with the market, with the, your commercial teams, with your competitors, with all the components of the product strategy that we just talked about. Brilliant. Very much so. <laughs> you could have answered the next question I was going to ask as well, which is just around relating that back to making sure that you're still aligning and collaborating with commercial. I think you've touched upon that as well in terms of, I suppose, that feedback loop as well. And then and also just having those kinds of people around the table and keep the lines open <laughs> on that front. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I've listened to quite a few podcasts sort of around products in sort of in preparation for this series that I've done and I've not really come across much sort of where it's been really like honed in on product strategy and, and how to go about that. I'm sure there'll be listeners out there who are doing this, trying to refine their kind of system, but also I guess maybe looking to move into a more senior product role or maybe even step into their first leadership role. So I'm sure that it'd be really helpful to them. I think that leads us quite nicely on to the kind of last bit, which I was keen to touch upon, which was just obviously you've worked in quite a few different businesses during your career, bigger companies, then you more recently moved into the kind of scale up world. And I think that as you go through those growth phases, the collaboration between products and commercial teams obviously needs to evolve quite a bit. How does it need to evolve? Yeah, that's a good segue into the different sort of maturity stages that I think a business can have when it comes to product strategy. I usually find four stages in terms of product strategy that most times relate to growth stages, but not necessarily. And I think it's probably a better way of, of looking at it than just looking purely at the stage because you can have a big company that really doesn't have any product strategy in place, even though they've managed to get to a certain stage now, everything is not working or people are misaligned. Or you can have a, I don't know, CSB company that does it really, really well because they're pursuing best practices you know, since day one. In terms of the maturity stages of product strategy, I would probably find four from less mature to more mature. The first one I call trust your gut, 
trust in your brand. That is the stage where commercial and product do not really collaborate much or collaborate very loosely, either because there are not a lot of insights available or because the company has not prioritized getting those insights. What tends to happen is that product builds one thing, sales or commercial tries to sell another thing. In this case, product and sales are very siloed. They do not talk very often. Basically, what ends up happening is that product teams prioritize based on instinct. And sometimes this is done ad hoc, right? Most of the time, quarter to quarter. So what are we going to build next quarter, right? Let's think about it now. What are we going to build two quarters from now? Well, we don't really know. We'll just revisit it in a quarter's time. So I think that's probably the first stage. And maybe some people in the audience can relate to, to this in terms of really prioritizing based on instinct or, or on gut. As commercial teams and product teams get closer together, I think we start seeing signs of the second stage, which I call grounded prioritization framework. So in this stage, commercial teams and product teams realize that, hey, we need to cooperate better together because otherwise it's going to be very hard for us to succeed. At this point in time, they start talking a bit more. They have common understanding of the some product needs or some key customer pain points that they need to solve. And at least they have those exchanges so that they at least have a common understanding of who they're going after. There are some bespoke requests across multiple segments, but still they're talking, they're chatting. And what this means is that now they at least can have a simple but effective or at least useful prioritization framework. Now it's not about instinct, it's not about ad hoc request. Now they have some sort of prioritization framework that even though let's say preliminary or basic, incorporates the views of product, but also the views of commercial, something that in the previous stage was not done. The third phase, people realize more and more the benefits of bringing product and commercial together. And the third phase is what I call a phase of aligned product and business objectives. Now, even though we haven't gotten to the full price strategy yet, product and commercial teams really see the benefit of collaborating. We now have a much better understanding of the core needs for Maybe not all, but maybe a subset of user personas or buyer personas. So at least the product team has a clear view of, hey, these are the problems that are truly creating frustration for our users. Therefore, let's work on those. Also, the commercial team is empowered to provide continuous insights to the product team. It's not just done on, you know, once a month or once a quarter, but rather almost like continuously because they feel listened to. And this is the key bit, they feel listened to. Sometimes that's all it takes. If they feel listened to, they'll be encouraged or they want to provide more insights so that the team has more, let's say, ammunition or information to create better product capability. In this case, what this results into is now we can start having these more structured prioritization framework cadences. We now talk about maybe even like a year long roadmap or like, a, you know, two or three quarters ahead of time, because now we can see into the future, right? It's not about Hey, what's, what are we going to do tomorrow? We're gonna, what are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next quarter? Is wow, we know we, these are the key things that we need to test. Let's maybe start extending our view six to 12 months at least. Which brings us to the fourth maturity stage, which is what I call a stable iterative product strategy. That brings us back to what we we're discussing earlier in that we achieve the end state of having a product strategy in place, right? We don't have the components. We align on the core needs. We have product and commercial talking to each other. And we have that cross-function alignment of the things that we at least need to explore or validate in only 12 months or maybe even longer. And the last bit or the sort of the cherry on the cake is that we now have the feedback loop systems or feedback loops in place so that that product strategy can be iterated on 
and really modified or adjusted as the business progresses and as we learn more about the market, the users, the competitive dynamics, or even just the business model, right? How do we make more money? How do we land and expand? How do we penetrate a new market? These are things that can be incorporated in the product strategy. And because we don't have the forums in place and the right people coming together, this can be done effectively. Perfect. I think that's really useful, certainly for listeners, again, at like different stages of, of growth or, you know, as I said, like if, if people are maybe looking to move into a more senior role, but it means that they've maybe got to move to a, an earlier stage business where perhaps the that stage of collaboration is more immature, then it's just useful to get those guidelines. So certainly really useful. Just the last area we just wanted to touch upon, just sort of around maybe some advice or product as a career. How do you break into it? How do you progress in it? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I get approached quite often by people trying to break into the world of product management. And of course, as we have discussed, and as, as a lot of the people in the audience could probably speak to, there is no one way to break into product management. There are multiple ways to break into it, but of course, the ones that I recommend are first, if you have the chance to transition from within your existing company into an adjacent product role, and then progressively, as you were saying earlier, Ben, realize, oh, wow, I'm doing product management now, sort of justifying that internal transition. To me, that is probably the most straightforward way and the one that I pursued personally. The second aspect or the second way, I guess, is uh, when you try to break into a new company for a product role, for the first time. This, in my opinion, is harder to do. It can be done. So in terms of what I advise people to do to basically make it happen is to always try a couple of things. First, try to remarket yourself as a product manager, even if you have not been a product manager before. Try to learn the key concepts, the key jargon of product management, learn sort of the quintessential Marty Kagan books, right? <laughs> and really try to, as I said, market yourself on LinkedIn, on the way you, on your CV, on the way you approach founders or hiring managers, highlighting the product or the transfer all the skills that you have had in your previous roles, right? So we have all probably led transformation projects, or we have all tried to solve key business problems with the help of a team, right? So how do we talk about those in product jargon and product talk, so to speak, like talking about pain points, talking about uh, iterations, talking about really test and learn these aspects that are really so fundamental to what we do in product. And then the second aspect is to try and get relevant experience either via, I don't know, if you can do like side projects or internships, or even just working with friends on a project that you find exciting, but it's about bringing something to, to life to address a pain point, to address a, a market need, because that in and of itself is, is product, right? So there are just a couple of examples of, of how someone new to product can break into product management. But yeah, as mentioned, out of the two options, probably an internal transfer or internal move is the one I recommend or I find a bit easier. In terms of how to progress within product management. I think it depends on the career path that you want to pursue or the interests that you have. There is no one product career. There is people who want to pursue a very vertical product career. So from product management to senior PM to product lead, head of product, VP, CPO. There's people who are more interested in maybe like the more individual contributor roles. So they want to, they don't want to manage people. So they just maybe want to make it to, to principal, right? And, and have that really expert seat at the table, right? From a, from an individual perspective in product management. So I think to me, that is the first step. What is it that you want out of your career? What is it that you want to lead people? Is it that you want to, you know, more work and more and more complex projects? Is it that you want to get closer to a specific technology, AI or quantum or anything that you might find exciting? Or potentially you just want to specialize in a given industry, right? You want to be the 
fintech expert, the health tech expert, the logistics expert. So based on these um, answers or the answers to these questions, you can start sort of crafting your North Star, right? What are you trying to optimize for? And then off the back of that, you can then start making these strategic decisions that will get you closer to that state, right? I call these work backwards. It's something that we learned uh, at Amazon, like always trying to work backwards from the state you want to get to, right? So in my case, for example, just to bring it to life, was around getting closer to commercial and the intersection of commercial and product. Therefore, I learned more about marketing, about sales, about client success, finance, operations, almost like having that more uh, overarching business leadership perspective that complements my product view. Yeah, I think that you probably too humble to say it, you know, you obviously progressed pretty quickly, didn't you? But it take you about five years to get to like some product direct level at Chatham, I don't know, maybe a smaller business. You've progressed pretty quickly and I'm excited to see where you go <laughs> in in the future. Kudos to you. I guess just some fun questions I like to do at the end of these sessions. First one is who's the most influential product leader that you've perhaps worked with or you know, admired from afar sort of in your career and why? I've thought about this lately as well. Uh, and probably there are several people that I that I have in mind, but one that I probably highlight here uh, in the context of the conversation is uh, my previous CPU at Ada Health. Um, his name is Harpal Sine. He's, I'd say, quite well known in the London product scene. And the reason why I highlight him as, as really a, an influential product leader, mostly because of, of three things. First, his ability to at the C-level, instill that product mindset across the business in a way that sort of permeates the organization and people start getting what product is, why product is important, why product needs to sit at the table, and, and also why we, we can collaborate with others to really create the company, a company that can scale, that can bring money, that can really succeed. He's really, really good at that. Secondly, he also, from a people perspective, he has a good ability to hire the right people. And I think that's a really, really important in a, in a CPO, right? Uh, it's all about the team that you build. It's not so much about what you're going to do as an individual contributor, of course. It's more about the, the team that you can bring into the company and, and what they can do under your, I guess, direction and, and leadership. And the third thing in line with this is also his ability to get the best out of people in terms of obviously bringing in the right people, but also motivating them and also motivating the people who were already at the business so they don't feel um, maybe threatened or isolated. He brings everyone behind his ideas or behind a direction and i found that quite humbling yeah it sounds a very good person to learn or learn from of that and the next question just sort of around if you could go back in time when you're first starting out as a product manager what piece of advice would you give yourself as you're sort of starting out and the one that i would give myself would probably not necessarily product related but just in general like career related be more patient i think when i when i started my career i had very Lofty goals, I'm an ambitious person, a driven person, and I had potentially unrealistic expectations as to, you know, how fast I could progress and where I could get to by a certain age. I think I was looking at it the wrong way, right? I was thinking, hey, by X age, I need to be at this level, by Y age, I need to be at this other level. And I think it, it, it just doesn't work that way. And also, it's not really productive for for you as, as, a, as a professional, as an individual. So I would probably tell myself to be more patient, to focus on delivering impact, to focus on, on learning, to focus on being a bit more present and really sort of absorbing the, the opportunities that each one of the experiences that I that I would have would give, because that's really in and of itself how you can progress forward. And, and that continuous learning, continuous curiosity 
is what will allow me to move ahead in my career, regardless of what that end goal ends up being. I think that actually links quite nicely back to the, the last sort of section we've talked about, sort of how to progress in your career. And yeah, again, it relates nicely to not sort of putting too much pressure on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, I think that your first answer just around the most influential product leaders, but it's actually maybe having a someone to mentor, you know, to mentor you is quite quite useful when you're, when you're early on your in your career and then the last one i guess what's the like the thing that you've still got left to learn like what's the number one thing in your on your mind at the moment that you still think you need to learn i'm sure there's lots <laughs> or maybe not well there's lots <laughs> lots 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 to learn always always <laughs> at least that's what i think and, and that was that's what makes it uh, exciting i guess um but i guess if i were to highlight one I think it would be the ability to operate, I'd say, at, uh, at the highest level, right? At C-level, C-level roles. It's probably one of the biggest leaps that you have to take in your career, moving from maybe like head of VP to uh, C-level, because the, the paradigm changes completely. So yeah, just trying to, at the moment, trying to get more exposed to how um, conversations and, 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 and dynamics work at, at that level, how to be as effective as possible if in the event that I ever get the chance to work at, at the C-level, right? And then secondly, I think back to my, my point of curiosity, as a product person, as I, as I highlighted before, I think it's important to continuously be uh, sort of as aware as possible of, of other functions, right? And sort of bits of, of the business. And I think for me, one thing that I would want to be delve a bit further into is finance, for example. Uh, so finance, of course, I had a bit of a taste during my MBA, but I would love to, to dive a bit deeper as well to basically learn how finance and product can interact a bit better and how we potentially replicate the, the benefits of commercial and product interacting better well i'm sure you'll get there one day and yeah i uh, look forward to knowing you through that and um, watching you go along well look learns it's, it's been it's been brilliant it's been brilliant chatting to you and i really appreciate your time as always and i guess you know for people listening lorenzo is one of my absolute go-tos for all things product so i'm sure that he'll be happy to connect with you and i'll leave i'll leave the details in the podcast I could link if that that's okay but yeah overall i really love the session and, and again thanks for thanks for coming along thank you so much for having then uh, it was a great conversation really appreciate it again very jealous of your sunny time in spain <laughs> <laughs> nice to you and the audience have fun thanks very much i'm ben molson that was product leaders a podcast series by Orbis. if you've made it this far thanks so much for listening and i hope you enjoyed feel free to give the podcast a follow a like a comment and of course share with your own product community finally i've launched a product community page which will give you access to other content such as roundtables, meetups, salary guides, market insights, and so on. If you want to see more of that, then please subscribe and you'll find the link in the show notes.